Welcome to the Resilient Training Lab Podcast. Do it. All right. We're doing another episode of the Resilient Training Lab Podcast. Today, we're doing one I'm very excited about. We're going to head into the topic of learning a new skill. We're here with Jackson Taylor. So, Jackson, thank you for hopping on and talking to us today. Always. A little background on Jackson. I'll let him fill us in more. But Jackson used to train at Revolution. He's a PT. So, yes, I uh, used to come over to Revolution once upon a time. Uh, Last year, was there for a few months. So I am a physical therapist, and I was traveling through the Northeast when I was was over with y'all. And I'm sure some of the people that listen to this might have seen me in there throwing weights or yelling or asking Paul to spot me so I don't drop something on my face. So I was a traveling PT up there for a couple of years, and then I came down here to Florida. So I live in the northern part of Florida now, up towards Jacksonville. Uh, We're moving to Jacksonville Beach here in about a month. And so I actually work at Sawgrass Country Club, which is a private course down here. And then I run an online company called Anchor Forge Performance Coaching. And I do strength and conditioning and practice plans for golfers. So not only the gym side or the performance side of that, but also what they do at the range, how they manage what they do at the course. So I am not a golf pro. So I do not teach people the mechanics of golfing. I teach people how to optimize their swing on the range and have their range time transfer to the golf course uh, in addition to their in-gym workouts. And that's all done all done remotely for the most part. But that is, in a quick nutshell, what I do for people. So yes, my tagline is, I do help businessmen look good, feel good, and perform on and off the golf course. So instead of feeling like a plubby golfer, you can have a six-pack and play golf. You know, they don't have to be separate. Sawgrass is like that's a famous course. That's a big, that's a big golf course. So that's pretty cool. Yes. So I am, most people think of TPC Sawgrass, which is the players championship course. And that is, I just do that across the street. No, no, no. So this is, everybody (laughs) does this. Okay. So TPC Sawgrass is the players championship, which is across the street. We're the private course that's on the other side of the street. And so we have our own three nines and it's a beautiful private community and, it's, it's really awesome. So I work inside a clinic there, uh, and then everything else that I do through Anchor Forge is, is remote. So you have no, like, John Daly's on your roster? Cause he's, oh, no. He's, no, only, no, he's, I, he's my favorite I, golfer of all like time. Like 25 years ago, John Daly, or like current John Daly that can't play on the tour because they won't let him take a cart? <laughs> I mean... Played, no, hold on. He played last weekend wearing these red, white, and blue USA pants. <laughs> big beard and just just a badass dude yeah, yeah he's he's still my idol great 30 for 30 for him if you haven't watched it it's just like him drinking and smoking laughing <laughs> <laughs> golf balls around uh but yeah no i've had i've had a couple john daly's that didn't want to be john daly's anymore because you know yeah, hard, hard life to live yeah <laughs> <laughs> Is working with golfers something that you had always looked to do, or is that just kind of the skill that you ended up around? No, uh, I had nothing to do with golf. I didn't play golf as a kid. Realistically, I think I might have played two or three times when I was younger, and that was just kind of for fun. Uh, I didn't pick up golf until grad school. So I played college football. I played basketball, did track and field sports, uh, did all the throwing events, uh, 
I went Olympic weightlifted, uh, competed in powerlifting. So I've done pretty much everything. And then in grad school, uh, I just started picking up golf being like, you know, this is something that people play forever. It seems kind of fun. Let me go do it. And I was of the mindset that I'm athletic. I'll figure this out. And I was fully 3000% wrong. Uh, (laughs) Golf is hard. It is frustrating. It is difficult. And every day is something new. And just when you think you figured it out, it just like pulls the rug out from under you and just slaps you across the face. It's like, (laughs) actually, you don't know everything that you're supposed to know. So it's, it's very challenging. And so when I was in grad school, I just started picking it up and getting into it. And then probably two years ago, uh, I really dove into it. Um, I love it. I love the sport. Um, and there is for me anyways, you know, being around performance coaching for so long, you know, I've been training since training people anyways, since like 2010, um, I've always been involved with athletes, but never golf athletes, mostly because people don't look at golf as a quote unquote sport, which I could see why people used to think that I certainly don't think that now. And unfortunately in the world of golf, the performance side hasn't come into it as much as I would like. It has a little bit more now because you've got these big hitters like Bryson DeChambeau and the Dustin Johnsons and the Rory's and the Justin Thomases who are just bombing golf balls. And their exercise programs are really big into that. And just because they're working out doesn't mean they're going to hit the ball further, but it does play a role. You know, Tiger really changed all of that when he started working out. And so it became a cool thing to do. So people started doing it. Unfortunately, just like in the world of powerlifting or weightlifting or any sport, so much BS starts coming into the equation once you start doing or adding in workout plans, you know, people doing hops on BOSU balls and being on foam pads and swinging heavy medicine balls in 360 degree rotations while holding a lacrosse ball in their mouth and trying to sing the ABCs backwards. Like it's just all of this gimmick stuff that's been thrown out there. And when I looked at that, I was like, you know, just like any other system, it's kind of a broken system. Like people aren't getting good education on what, SNC looks like for a golfer. And so I kind of stepped into that space and started diving into that. And now that's really what I do full time for people is that part, you know, the other part being their practice sessions. When it comes to skill acquisition, when we're talking about, uh, I'll use basketball as the example. So if you are a, you know, 15 year old going out and trying to play basketball, and you want to make the team. And all you do is you go out and you shoot jump shots from a few spots on the court. And you might shoot 30 shots from here and 30 shots from there and 30 shots from here. But it's just kind of you shooting. By the end of the day, you might be making more of those shots. But in two days, if you then go play five on five, your chances of success are pretty much none. Because your practice didn't mimic play. When you're first learning, you know we talk about blocked practice. So it's doing the same thing kind of over and over, right? So if we're teaching someone how to do, we talked earlier about like lunging. If you teach someone how to lunge, they might have to do a few of them to figure out the pattern of it. But it is a skill that we want to develop well. So shooting a basketball is a skill. Swinging a golf club is, is that there's technique to it. But when it's only blocked, there's not enough cognitive difficulty for you to learn it. You know, a great example, there's actually a guy, uh, Bjork, he did a study in like 2018 or something, and it was with bean bags. And so one group stood at X feet from the hole, and one group stood like nine or like one foot shy and one foot past. And he basically tested, they just like did 30 of those, and one group had some variants and one group didn't. Well, when they tested to see who was the most accurate, 
the group that never did it from the same distance was way more accurate, right? When the, the brain has to be tested. And so when I, that's a really long way of basically me saying that when I dove into that, when you see how people practice golf, when you, when you go to a driving range, all you see is people smoking shot after shot after shot after shot. And it's one of the only sports where that's the way people practice. A, it's difficult. You don't have three hours to go play a round of golf every day. B, that's expensive. You know, the average person's not going to go spend $30, $40 a day to go play golf or practice. Some people have, they've got lives. And so golf is a tricky sport in that way because basketball, I can go play five on five pickup at the local gym for 45 minutes and I'm out and I've got a good workout in. And golf is difficult because you can't really do that on the course. And so when I see these people just banging balls and banging balls, they're not actually getting any better. And they'll tell you that they're frustrated because their practice doesn't transfer to the course. And so I saw that as a gap in golf training. So not only did I, you know, add the strength and conditioning side, but I was like, you know, people really need to learn what it means to practice and how to practice effectively so that it transfers to their performance on the course. Now, when you're looking to improve somebody's performance and sticking with golf as the example, but this would apply to anything. I think my first step would be to just break it down into its components. And so how are you doing that with your golfers? Are you breaking it down by club? Are you looking at specific types of shots? Like how, I guess, like what is your process to identifying exactly what somebody might need to work on? Just like any sport, it's going to be subjective to that person. So if I have a brand new golfer versus a, you know, low handicap golfer, they need different things at the course. If I have a 600-pound deadlifter versus someone who's never touched a barbell in their life, they're going to require different programming, so to speak. Um, And again, I don't do the technique side of golf. That's what a golf pro is for. But say I have someone come in and they say that their driver is always awry and they have a lot of difficulty with their chipping and with their putting and their golf pro gives them like – two drills they want them to work on, right? And they go do those drills constantly at the golf course. They did a hundred of that drill in a row. They're like, yeah, I think I figured it out. Then they go to the course and it completely falls apart. It's almost like they never learned it. So what I do is take that and go, okay, we have to make your practice follow three things. And so the guys at um, Game Like Training do a great job describing this guy named Ian Highfield. And so one being spacing. So every client I'll take on, I'll look at their practice and go, okay, how much space are you taking between your shots? So when you go to the golf course, your average time between shots is a few minutes sometimes, a couple minutes anyways, right? So you hit a shot, hit your drive. You've got to drive up to it or walk up to it. That's a couple of minutes. Whereas at the driving range, it's just hit one, grab the next one, hit one, grab the next one. The brain learns better when you've taken time for it to learn. So spacing always ends up being a priority. The next thing is variability. I don't necessarily want you hitting the same club over and over. So I may, you know, have you hit your three iron. So you may do that drill your golf pro gave you. You'll do that. You'll do two or three swings with that drill. And then you'll go grab your five iron and hit two shots at a target. And you're going to record if you got the ball within 30 yards of that target. You'll walk away, grab your club again, do that drill again. And then maybe go grab your six iron and hit three shots at a target. So there's going to be variability in your practice. You never hit the same club three times in a row, right? Unless you tried to hit your driver and it like dribbled off 
of the tee, and then you tried to like hit it again. It, like that's the that's only bad. time. Suck at golf. You suck. You really <laughs> you suck at golf that bad. Uh, you, you do that. So first thing, spacing, second thing, variability. And the third thing is challenge. So when you think of a challenge framework, so what, what I mean by that is every person kind of has a Goldilocks where um, if you're trying to learn a new skill, if it's too easy, you don't learn the skill. Almost the same, con- exactly, almost the exact same concept as if the weight is too low and all you do is every week you do the same set you know, the same 135 for 10 reps for three sets, the body doesn't have to adapt. It just gets good at doing it easier. Skills are the exact same. The body always will find the easiest way from point A to point B. And if it's, if the challenge of whatever you're doing is easy, the brain doesn't have to adapt. It's not cognitively difficult. So there needs to be a challenge point for every athlete individually. So if I have a golfer uh, who's struggling with putting, one of my favorite putting drills, uh, I've seen Mickelson do versions of this before, but you'll take a club and you'll put 10 balls around the hole, all at maybe four feet we'll use. And so you're then going to go grab a dollar bill and you're going to put the dollar bill inside of the pin. If you hit eight out of 10 shots, you can take your dollar out. If you don't get eight out of 10 in the cup, you leave the dollar there and the next person, whoever gets to go to the hole, gets to get it. The point of that drill is that now you have to focus on each putt because there's a challenge involved. It's difficult. And the other part of that challenge is how far the balls are from the pin. So if you can hit two foot putts all day, that's not challenging enough. But if I give you a two foot putt, a five foot putt, a two foot putt, a five foot putt all the way around and five foot putts are hard, you're really having to focus because A, it's difficult for you to make that putt and B, there's something on the line, right? There's, there's a little bit of money on the line. I'm not telling people they need to go gamble, but the point of it is that there's something involved that's difficult. You know, I'll, I'll use basketball as an example again. If it's you against another guy and you go, okay, you guys have to make, whoever makes the most shots from these three spots wins, right? But you've got to do however that looks. Each person is focused, on those shots, right? And golf is no different. We have to have something that's difficult enough that it challenges the golfer. It makes them get out of their comfort zone and understand that that's going to create failure. But the more we can increase the amount of times they fail, the more learning takes place. The more learning takes place, the more long-term they actually perform. If all you ever see is good shots at the driving range, that's all you're hitting, And you never actually get to feel what it's like to have different lies, different wins, different clubs in different places. Like that is how we process information. So the easiest way to think about that's like chunking. You guys ever heard of chunking? That's what golfers have to do is you take all these little bits of information. And when you get out on the course, say you hit the ball into the rough and you're off of um, you're off the green and you got to chip up over this bunker. When you walk up to that shot or where you're planning that shot, your brain is going, it's picking all these past experiences and going, okay, my feet need to be like this. Maybe I want to put the ball a little bit further back in my stance. Maybe I want to open my club face up a little bit because you've experienced something like that in the past. Your working memory is then able to pull all that stuff in almost subconsciously, and then you go hit that shot. But if you only ever chip from a comfortable position at the chipping green at the range, your brain never gains all those things. So you have to incorporate that into a practice session 
so it actually transfers to the course. Otherwise, it's just wasting time. Yeah, I think you brought up something that I want to go a little more into uh, that I think a lot of people are scared of when learning new skills, and that is failing or doing it incorrectly or, uh, like, I don't know, getting quote-unquote bad reps in. Uh, so I kind of want you to kind of expand. We talked a little about this before we started the call, expand on kind of how failure is a necessary part in learning and why we need to be setting up, setting ourselves up to fail more some more often than we're probably comfortable. <laughs> well, I mean, the easiest thing is you can't learn unless you've failed to do so. The difference being is that when we're kids, that's accepted. Like when you're little and you don't know how to write a sentence or you don't know how to say a word, you know, we have little kids that babble all the time. Like, no, say dad, duh, duh, duh. You know, it's, it's expected for kids to have trouble doing things like shooting a basketball or swinging a golf club. It's expected that they're not going to be good at it. So we allow them to fail and then we give feedback as needed and we allow them to fail some more, you know, fail again, fail again, fail again, fail better. I don't remember who said that. Somebody's quote. Anyways, you got to get good at doing that. But as we get older and we get in our ways, we want to be good at stuff now, right? Our patience is, it just lacks as we get older, but the way we learn things hasn't changed. Yes. We're more plastic as we are. As, we're not as plastic and we're older as we are as kids, or you can learn a skill quicker, but the same principles still apply, right? So it's not that we have to necessarily always fix your golf swing per se. Yes. There's things that we can fiddle with, but we have to get you, seeing shots and failing at them because you do that enough times in different situations, you've now learned what to do in that, in that context, right? Context matters when it comes to learning. And so if you've never failed or you're not letting yourself fail, it's because you're not challenging yourself enough. And the golf course is going to challenge you, right? It's going to have different lies and different winds, different temperatures, um, different clubs, if all you've ever used is three clubs on the driving range and you go to the course, even if you use all your clubs at the range, but in perfect conditions, the lie is perfect. The grass is perfect at the range. It's teed up at the right spot. You're not learning anything and it can't transfer because you haven't done anything to make it hard. You know, if you hit a slice or you've, you've actually made it hard for you to hit a goal and say one week, you're six out of 10 target practicing. We'll say, so you take your nine iron and you hit three shots with it to a target. Then you go putt three putts to see if you make it walk back, hit another three. And out of 15 shots, how many were within 30 yards? Say one week, that's like three out of 10. That's probably a little too low. But if the next week that's eight out of 10, you've now improved that and gotten better at it. But most people they're like, "Eh, I'm not hitting that club. Well, put it away. When in fact, all they're doing is making themselves stay the same or get worse at the game they're trying to play. I just want to highlight like that overall, what was said there was if, if you're not failing, it's probably not hard enough to do anything. So, so we have to get comfortable being uncomfortable and pushing ourselves to challenge ourselves and put us ourselves in situations where we're not always going to be successful or else there won't be any growth. And I think that kind of holds true across everything, not just golf. Yeah. What does that look like in the weight room? Do we want everybody throwing 130% of their lifts on the bar and failing? Cause that's how we grow. No, but we should be, <laughs> <laughs> we should be 
uncomfortable and pushing ourselves probably past the point where we want to stop. For people that are familiar with RPE, doing a set to an RP8 or 9 is not something that your mind willingly does. Uh, those last couple reps, you have to talk yourself into doing them and you know execute and put forth an effort that is greater than you know your regular comfort level to get kind of the results that you want. So it's not not that the failure, I guess, would be in the same way. It's not as um, objective as golf is, where it either goes in the hole or it doesn't. Um, <laughs> but that that effort over a long period of time and that ability to push yourself into uncomfortableness is necessary. Maybe the word failure there is somewhat of the wrong word, but the difficulty point is the exact same in both of those sports. If the, if the weight on the bar is not enough to challenge you to get to that RPE eight, you will not make any improvement. If the challenge on the golf course is not enough to make you learn how to make that shot, you're not going to get better on the golf course. You know, so when we look at weightlifting versus golfing, one of the differences is, you know, failing on a golf course looks different than failing under a 500 pound squat. But the challenge points to help you get a better squat still exist and have to be there. I mean, I guess now that you say that makes me think like if we're talking straight skill acquisition point, like skill acquisition wise, you could say that a like failed squat would be something that deterred you from your normal technique. So we need to be loading ourselves to the point where our technique changes or our technique will never get better at those heavier loads. So from a straight skill acquisition standpoint, you could say failure would be any deviant from your whatever your normal technique is and mm-hmm. having to have reps that don't always look the same. Yeah. And that's, again, we're also talking about a sport where in your three major lifts, you want your technique to be the same for all those three major lifts, right? That's, that's something you want to be able to control. In golf, the ball could be on a hill. The ball could be in the rough. The ball could be in the sand. You have to use a different club. You have different winds. The variables in golf are huge. In powerlifting, your variables still exist. You know, different rooms, different places, different benches, different barbells, different fields, different chalks. But you're you're in control a lot of those setups. So there's fewer variables going on, but they're still variables. And adapting to those does benefit you in in a lot of what shoot just the shoes you wear when you squat, right? There's a comfortability you would have in those. So there's there's variables still. It's just are we accounting for them and training with them? And if we are challenging ourselves in a way that, again, maybe in the weight room it looks more like technique breakdown or loss of bar speed, and then on the golf course maybe it's not having as many successful shots we'll probably go through a period like you hinted at earlier where maybe one week it's just not there. You're nine iron, you're hitting three out of the 10 shots and maybe it's a few weeks in a row when regularly you're going to hit seven or eight out of 10 times. And I think it's important to not view that as, you know, I am now a worse golfer or if it's in the gym, like you are not necessarily weaker. It's just maybe a, like a rough patch or something that, you know, on the other side of it, you might, have like this explosion and like 
you might just get a lot better very quickly if you just kind of push through that that valley. Well, it's almost it feels like getting worse to get better. Yeah. Right? It's that's 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 kind of a part of it. Um, you know, it's are you willing to go through the blisters on your hands from deadlifting to get to the calluses? Right? Are you willing to go through that discomfort to get to the other side of that? Um, and I think that that's something people really just aren't usually willing to do. Um, and it doesn't, let me, let me put it like this too. It's not that you necessarily have to have massive failure. There does have to be success involved in whatever you're doing. Um, now, most of that, you know, if you were to ask a sports psychologist, does come down to the mentality of the person you are coaching. So it's encouraging them like, hey, remember those three good shots you hit? Those are the shots you need to focus on. Jack Nicholas is notorious for saying that he like never three putted at a major. And if you were to look at a video, he has, but in his mind, he never has because he only ever focused on the shots that were made. Like he, in his mind, he made everything. And more often than not, he made more than he missed. So there is something to say for someone's doing something. They have to taste the good shots or taste the good success in the weight room. You know, you want, you don't just want your guys or girls to, never be able to pick up their deadlift, right? There has to be some kind of built-in way that you're building in success or they're getting success. That's that challenge point. Is the challenge point enough where it's hard enough where they don't quite fail, so to speak, but they're having difficulties with it. It's not perfect, but it's not so easy that it's just whatever, right? And wrapping people's minds around, hey, how how did that big deadlift feel today? You know, what? how did that go for you? Like, tell me, tell me what that was like. And every time you go in, you should be visualizing that it feels like that. You know, talking about pre-shot routines with golfers is a huge thing that I've done a lot more of recently is how are you approaching the ball, right? If you're thinking about the water or thinking about the slice and you don't have this pattern that you go through as you approach the ball, you're going to be in trouble. You should be visualizing, hey, this is the shot I want. This is how it's going to look. And if it doesn't end up looking like that, that's fine. But you were in the right mindset which is sometimes half the battle. You guys, certainly in your experience with powerlifting, your mindset getting under a bar or going to pick a bar up off the ground is almost half the battle. You've trained well at this point. You're ready to go. But if you go up to that thing kind of scared of it, you're not going to pick it up, right? You've got to go in there with a very specific mindset. And you guys can offshoot on that if you'd like. But I find that to be a plight of a lot of athletes. Yeah, we just we just did a two-parter on on the exact topic with uh, Carlos last week, and uh, I think one of the things that we kind of all agreed on was when you look at like the best of the best in any given sport, there is just that like ego slash swagger slash just mindset that you know every shot or every whatever they take is going to go in. I mean, just like. If anybody's seen The Last Dance, Michael Jordan's thing on ESPN, like the guy just like thoroughly believed every shot he was going to take was going to go in. Like there was no doubt in his mind he could be triple teamed, hand in his face. He didn't care. Like that shot was going in in his head every single time. And it's interesting because when you look at like novice athletes that try to do it, you can like see the difference versus these elite athletes that like literally like they truly believe it. Like you cannot yeah. convince them that they, they they've missed a shot. <laughs> oh, I would it's say kind that. of uh, becomes almost like maybe a little 
sick at a at a certain level, but like, that's oh, like, yeah. I think what it takes to be great, right? It's like, <laughs> like anything else, but look at successful business people. Yeah. I mean, they have a certain amount of I'm going to win. Like nothing, nothing is in their minds. They're like, hey, this is the greatest pitch in the world. And if it doesn't work, they're like, yeah, it's still the greatest pitch in the world. I'm just going to refine <laughs> it and sell it to somebody else. They they honestly have that like, yes, it can always be better. But I know inherently that I'm good enough to make it great. Like whatever I can control, I can control. Um, I think that athletes as a whole get way too caught up in the externals. They are so caught up in, well, what are people going to think of me if I suck this week? Or what are people going to think of me if I do this? Or we're, we're so caught up in what the world thinks of how we're doing. I say that to people when I'm talking about their range time. Like, who gives a shit if the guy two you know, rows down looks at you like you suck at golf? Do you know him? You know, is, is he like a family member? Is he your friend? Like, does he dictate your day? Who cares? Right. People are going to look at you for people in the gym. You guys know this. Um, they're only they're only deadlifting 200 pounds today. Yeah. And maybe 200 pounds for them is fucking hard. Good for them. Go get some. Right. Like it's not we're so worried about other people all the time. And at golf, I see that a lot. We're always like looking around. At, you know, are people looking at me? You know, you'll go to the range and people are like have like this weird swagger about them when they're doing stuff. And it's just. Nobody cares. We're all way more concerned about ourselves than we seem to think we are. Like, it's just, we care about what we're doing and how people are looking at us. Leave the other people out there. You want to get better? Focus on being a badass version of you and what other people do. Don't worry about judging it. Why, why are you wasting your time on such things? I, I say that to people in the gym all the time. You know, the gym is a very... Uh... People get very self-conscious, self-conscious in the gym, um, and that's like a common thing. Is like, oh, you know, like, what if I do something stupid and someone's watching? And especially in the gym, everyone is way too focused on themselves to, to even worry about what you're doing. So just focus on yourself uh, and try not to worry about the people around you because uh, they're probably more worried about themselves than you think. And I know we've talked about this before, Paul, but we've said it's not like we walk into the gym and the person that has the most weight on the bar has like our respect or is the the person that we look to as like all knowing, right? It's the person that comes in that tries their ass off regardless of where they're at and puts the effort in and shows up no matter what that like I, that's the type of person that I want to work with as a coach, not a person who, you know, kind of peacocks around during their warm-ups and stomps around as they're <laughs> throwing a plate on in between every single rep. Like, it, like that does nothing for me, guy. It's so. true. And I mean, even if you look at, I mean, I guess any gym I've ever been to, it is the guy this, or the ladies that work the hardest and show up and get it done no matter what that, that people look to for advice or kind of, hang around for motivation or it seemed to be kind of the anchor of the gyms. It's not, it's actually very rarely the strongest person in the gym. To be honest, usually the strongest person in the gym sometimes is kind of an asshole and everyone hates them. <laughs> not always though. Some people are nice. <laughs> well, think about the grand scheme though. If you were to look in a gym, what percentage of them are super strong relative to, you know, the rest of the world? 
1%, less than 1%, 0.05%. I don't know what the number is there, but. I mean, compared to the lifting world, but if you're in a gym, I th- I'd say by, by very nature, you're, you're in the top, you know, 10% of, of the world, right? I guess, I, I guess nobody I actually to, works out. I mean, yeah, in, terms in terms of, of people that actually work out, right? Yeah. People that work out, like if you walk into a gym, you know, okay, I'll use a, the example of revolution. Okay. How many people at that gym deadlift north of 700 pounds? Three. Three. Okay. And what is the deadlift record for the world? 1,400 pounds? When you're thinking of it, right, most people are, you know, south of 500 pounds, depending, you know, male, female, depending, right? So most people are in the quote unquote average lifter block. So that's the majority of your people. And those are the ones that are the coolest to watch because they're the ones that are pursuing, you know, the guys that are really heavy, you're gaining a couple of pounds, you know, here and there. If yeah. you, right. It's over the course of seven years. You over the course of the, yeah, like a decade. Like, <laughs> yes, 702. <laughs> like 7016 last week or something. Like it's just. It's Thanks, fun. Jackson. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a that's a hustle, but people are people are trying to be more, and so it's a lot easier for them to compare themselves to like these top people at the gym when you don't really need to. Like, is that what you want to do? Do you want to be able to do that? Because if that's what you want, great. You got some serious work to do on yourself before you can get there. And if you really want to play the comparison game, now that we're talking about strength averages, if you're in the gym working out only 20% of Americans meet the minimal daily, the minimal physical activity guidelines. So you're already in the top 20% just by showing up. Yep. (laughs) That's the truth. That's the truth. I, I won't argue that. And that is, a big issue in and of itself. I mean, the amount of money, <laughs> the amount of money that we spend in healthcare on preventable disease is—I don't even know if I want to go down that rabbit hole. It just upsets me every time I talk about it because it's just there's, yeah. There's a handful of us at the gym that kind of talk about it, and if any of us happen to bring it up that week, it's you just know the next thirty minutes is all of us just like <laughs> yelling and <laughs> throwing our hands up and just it going. Just make sense. Yeah, dude. But I mean, that's why all of us do what we do to a point. I mean, you're you're, you're trying to get, and change is hard, man. I mean, I, I put a post up today, you know, kind of about having the difference between comfort and growth and the world wants comfort. People want comfort. They want the easy roads. They want to eat the fatty foods and they want to have their drinks and they don't really want to have to work out. You know, the body is designed to do the easiest. But the easiest doesn't get us anywhere. And convincing people that growth is better isn't easy. You know, they have to see those results. Because I can look at, you know, I've had plenty of clients when I've been doing interviews for people to see if they should, you know, qualify really to work with me. Like if it's right for them, if it's a good fit. And I cannot tell you how many times they've said, yeah, I see people working out all the time. I see that they're all, you know, cut up and ripped. And that's, it's motivating. But it doesn't do it for me. They were like, I, I kind of have to go do things to be like, Oh, Hey, I'm, I'm doing better. Right. Motivation has never been something that I get into at all. I'm always going to pre discipline, showing up, doing the work. You'll see the results eventually. And once people, you guys know this, once you get a taste of what that's like, 
like I had a golfer the other day that I've been working with and uh, we've been fiddling a lot with his practice plan. Um, but he started to have these like little incremental gains. And the other day, you know, he's been working at this for, you know, a month and a half now of getting after it. And he dropped like eight strokes off his game, like three days in a row. And he just said that something clicked. And when he saw that, he was just like, it's almost like he kind of threw his hands up. Like, this is why I did all that nonsense the last month and a half that Jackson made me do because it was worth it. He's like, you know, I, I see what that means now. And sometimes people really have to dig into it to get something out of it. So when you invest in growth, whether it be your money, your time, whatever, it may take time for that to kick out. And once people see that, it's worth it. But it's so easy to pick that 80% of lethargy, basically. I think you brought up something that I have a hard time with as a coach is we talked earlier about providing that optimal level of challenge. And at least I, maybe you guys do too, but like I definitely start to second guess myself sometimes if we, if I see a client not being as successful as I had hoped or change not coming maybe as quickly as I had expected. Right. So it's kind of this constant battle of, you know, am I challenging this person enough? Am I challenging them too much? Like, is this not challenging enough at all that they don't even feel like doing it? So there's a lot at play there. I mean, I, I would always argue that it should always be process oriented always, you know, we want to use outcomes, you know, and in the strength world, it might be a little bit different, but even in the, in the golf world, thinking of like, Hey, I want to be a five handicap. Uh, That's their ultimate goal. And we keep that in mind, but it's always about the process. What's the process we're doing to get you there? Cause that's a great thing that you want. That 500 pound deadlifts. Awesome. But here's the hundred steps we have to take to get there. And making that the emphasis for me anyways is what I tell people all the time. Like, hey, did we follow our process this week? Not did we get our ultimate goal, but did we follow the process? Did you show up every day? Did you get your work in? What was your mindset like when you got there? You've got to keep tabs on those things. Otherwise, it's everybody's so worried about the outcome. And most of the time, you know, obviously with a little bit of the exception of weightlifting or deadlift or powerlifting because it's completely objective. It's like, did you pick that up? Did you stand up with it? Did you press it off your chest? Um, You know, in the golf world, once the ball's hit, you just have to accept what happens. Even in the powerlifting world, if you don't get the weight up, guess what? You've got to accept that that just happened and go right back to your process. Otherwise you're just so worried about things you can't control that it it'll, that really ruins people. I have seen people quit the gym, quit golf, quit other sports because they just, the outcome didn't happen that they wanted. And that's so frustrating because they don't know what to do about it. People get so caught up in kind of these outcomes. And then it comes back to, again, comparing themselves to others. And I think a lot of times it's just a matter of like managing expectations and being realistic with your outcome-based goals as well. Um, I think a lot of times, you know, in the lifting world, it's like you see these, like, freak 20-year-olds come out of nowhere squatting, like, 900 pounds, and you're like, dude, where did this guy come from? And you're like, why can't I squat 900 pounds? And then you start to be like, oh, I can do that, and you make these goals that are, like, not realistic for you. I'm like, I don't squat 900 pounds because I am not six foot four and 300 pounds. Like, <laughs> So I think a lot of times when we start to compare ourselves to others and then 
adding adding on to that, focusing on just outcomes, it's very easy to get frustrated and quit. And that's the exact opposite of what we want to happen is we want to create habits that last your lifetime and habits that are good for your health and longevity that you will continue to perform regardless. Um, and, you know, it doesn't matter who you are at a certain point, your outcomes are going to start to go the other way. Like, even if you're the best golfer in the world, you know, at some point, you're going to start to regress. Like, and if we can't fall in love with the process by that point, then it's probably not something that we're going to do for the rest of our lives. Yeah. All the amens to that. That's the truth. <laughs> That's the truth. No question about it. And people need, people need that process. I mean, if they're, no matter the sport, no matter the business, no matter what it is, the a belief that you are the, you know, master driver of your life, that you're the one that's in control of making it happen. And that you can do that as long as you stop worrying about what everybody else is doing. You can't control any of it. You know, the ability to understand that you're in control of thought and action. And, you know, that's what most people just don't want to do. They want to blame everybody else for all their shit. Well, I didn't get my deadlift. It's Paul's fault. You know, it's everybody. Do, you guys have had clients do that. I've had clients do that. You know, I didn't succeed. It's, it's, it's your fault. You know, you did that. And, or this situation did that, you know, uh, it was, the bar was too heavy that day, or, you know, I, I didn't have my normal warm up routine. We have all the stuff that we can pick at, but it all comes back to the individual. Um, you know, I tell that to every athlete that I see, I was like, my job is not to, you know, make you better. I'm not, I can't make you drink the water. I'm a travel guide. My job is to show you the best ways, give you everything I can show you what I think is going to help you the best and guide you up the mountain, but you have to walk up the mountain. I can't carry you the whole way. You know, you're in control of this ship. You know, I'm just the compass that's helping you get there. And getting people to buy into that can be hard, but once they do, man, is it fucking cool when people get jacked up that they can do it on their own or that they're capable of doing it. And I think that all of us have experienced that in one way or another with different clients where you see them succeed. I see that in the rehab world a lot where people are like, holy crap, I've, I like, I conquered some of the stuff that's been killing me forever. And when people get that and they get that, you know, internal locus of control, I mean, you guys know that's just rad. Like, it's just exciting. That's why we do it. Yeah, it's so much more powerful when you can get so, – give someone else the tools to help themselves than just tell someone what to do. And I think it's tough as a client sometimes because we want to be just told what to do. Like when I – like. Like I went to these both were doing golf, so I went to the driving range once, and I went with my buddy, who's like, uh, he's a course pro, he's pretty, he's a legit golfer, um, and like I just wanted him to tell me how to to drive the ball, and he's he's like, you can't just tell you how to do it, like you got to pre- like figure it out, like like I give you some hints, I can t- like give you some tips, but you got to like you got to you know skill accusation, you got to mess up and figure it out, yeah. and I just wasn't I wasn't willing to do that. I was like, no, this 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 is horrible. I went through 100 balls, not a single one went 100 yards. Like, I'm not doing this ever again. So, <laughs> so I forget where I was going with this, but um, <laughs> where did I start? You just can't force people along that process? Oh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So 
when you can give people the tools to kind of figure it out themselves. So now I'm at this, the golf range and my buddy's like, why don't you just like adjust your grip and uh, like relax a little bit. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I can, you know, hit a few balls a little further. I'm like, Oh shit. I, I can figure this out myself. I do have the abilities and skills to figure this out and grow on my own. I don't need someone to hold my hand. I might just need a little bit of guidance. And that is way more empowering than, getting to a destination where you are just told what to do every step of the way. Well, and also remember that skill and technique are not the same thing, right? Like skill is very outcome based. Like I have the skill of hitting a golf ball. Well, if I have the skill of hitting a golf ball, then I'm able to hit that golf ball where I want, right? Technique helps you maybe get to that point, but they are separate things. Like, you know, that guy has fantastic deadlift technique, but he can only pick up a hundred pounds. It's not like there has to be some kind of change there. It's important for people to see the difference between that. You know, like it's not like if you if you don't do good at something immediately, it's not that you are unskilled or you're unathletic, but your technique has to kind of keep up with you. And then we have to start doing the performance side so that that skill develops. You know, Steph Curry goes and shoots God knows how many threes in a day, but he's doing it with somebody in his face off the dribble, you know, between the legs off a pass in the corner at the top of the key on five and five. Like he's doing it in all these different situations. So he's got his technique of shooting, but he has the skill of making the basket because of all the time that he spent doing it in these different situations. So if we had to boil the last 50 or so minutes of conversation down to like our principles of developing a new skill. What would some of those be like big picture? First one was probably optimal challenge, right? Yeah. Challenge point is, is obviously a big thing. Are you doing something that's actually hard enough for you to do? Right. Um, you know, obviously you can't, depending on what the skill is, um, you know, are, are you actually able to do it? You know, so in golf, for instance, there are certain techniques that you have to be able to somewhat fit within. Everybody has a different golf swing. Um, Like there's high variability in golf swings, but it's not, you know, people aren't doing it with like whipping the thing around their head and then all of a sudden they hit it. Some people do, right? But I saw an Instagram video. (laughs) (laughs) Top golf. Yeah, top golf videos. So you do have to have the technique to be able to do stuff, but some people have some what people would consider janky ass technique, but their outcome is excellent. So it's, you know, there once upon a time we used to shoot a basketball underhanded and people were lethal from the free throw line, you know, and then we decided to change that. So sometimes that technique, it's going to be person dependent, but from a skill perspective, once you've kind of learned that technique that you use and you've kind of failed at it a little bit and gotten better at that position, like right now, like I have my golf swing, right? I, I shoot a basketball a certain way. I'm not going to change that. I'm not going to play with my elbow position. I'm just going to shoot a basketball. Now it's the skill development part. And once you get, or now it's the performance developing part, I guess you could call it. So challenge point is one variability, having different ways that you do things uh, or different positions. So if it's a golf club, I'm using different clubs on different lies with different wins at different targets, Um, you know, with the ball and maybe different positions in my stance on a hill, uh, all of those things you have to work on variably, not just hitting 10 of them at a time. Maybe in the beginning you do that, but as you get better at it, that blocked practice needs to be gone and you need to start having variability in your practice. Uh, and lastly is spacing. 
It's having time between what you do. Um, obviously, in the powerlifting world, it's a little bit different from a fatigue perspective. You know, I might not be able to pick up my 9RM a minute after I just did it. Like, that's just not, or my RPE 9, I'm not going to be able to pick that up in 60 seconds after I just did it. Like I'm just, my body's just smoked. I'm not, I'm not recovered enough to do that. Right. I need space between it in the skill world. If you do something, you need to take time between the next time you do it. Right. They've done this with people learning words where they'll give them like a hodgepodge of words and then they'll go do a different task and come back. And the people that had to go do a different task and come back, remember more of the words when the brain is cognitively challenged, it does better. So spacing, variability and challenge are the three things you need for skill acquisition. And that's in any sport. Honestly, that's really in anything you're trying to learn in general. If I'm trying to read a book and take stuff from it, you know, I need to read it, take some time between, come back to it, challenge myself about whatever I read. That's why we have tests and quizzes and all of these things. You know, it's, do you remember this stuff? Not immediately, but later on. And not just that short-term memory, but that long-term acquisition where just like I can go pick up a basketball and shoot it, right? I can pick up a golf club and, and hit it. I'm comfortable in doing that in various places, but that takes time to learn and it has to be learned within those three parameters. That was a, that was way too long winded for like a synopsis. That's okay. That's important. It can be the clip for Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> so I might add to the spacing on your deadlifts, right? Cause you use the example of fatigue limiting you and absolutely, like you can't pick up an RPE nine deadlift as like just whenever you want uh, within the same like training session. So I might add that like let's say hypothetically you hit a hundred pounds on bench and that's a PR and that's awesome to you. Spacing rather than like in that one workout might look more like next week you can hopefully hit a hundred pounds, but that might not be the case. So it's like you might have to string together more successful weeks of training or more successful blocks of training. Like that as your spacing is like executing that like one RM or that one at nine several weeks in a row, several blocks in a row to the point where now you can hit a hundred pounds any day of the week. And it doesn't take like Carlos example from last week was he needed his song on, he needed to hit ammonia. He needed his sleep to be perfect, his food to be perfect in order to deadlift 700 pounds. Now he can just walk into the gym and do it whenever he wants. So like, that's what I think of when I think of spacing in relation to like powerlifting or the gym specifically. Right. And that's also a huge difference between powerlifting and like a, a quote unquote skill sport like basketball or baseball or whatever it ends up being. Cause it's the There's a lot of physiology, you know, in lifting, right. And golf, there's obviously physiology, but from like a performance perspective, you know, am I strong enough to swing a golf club with power? And am I not too fatigued to be able to walk 18 holes? Whereas there's a clear delineation when it comes to, can I pick up 500 pounds? Can I not pick up 500 pounds? And the things that go around that. But obviously you actually mentioned something we haven't talked about, which is the context of how you're performing. How'd you sleep last night? What's your recovery look like? What's your diet look like? All of that impacts how we perform anything, right? Just by doing those things, most people's lives would improve. If people just got what they were recommended to sleep at night and they did the bare minimum exercise, like 30 minutes of walking in a row a day and they slept eight hours a night. Just sleeping alone has helped people with depression and anxiety and with weight loss, right? And that's, I don't want to dull down what that means for people that struggle with those things. But we know clinically that very small changes can make huge differences, but committing to them is just hard. That's what makes powerlifting so easy, though. There's, there's no like 
variability. There's you pretty much control absolutely everything. Uh, you can literally mimic the environment like to a T pretty much in training. Um, whereas other sports have much more variability and much more outside influences that are outside of their control, which makes the skills a lot harder to master or, you know, be good at. And that's why field sports and I guess any sport in general takes a lot more, I guess, skill practice than lifting weights. But I guess lifting weights, you technically are skill practicing every time you're lifting. So, yeah. Yeah. If we were to talk a little bit about the SNC side of what you do, how is it that you approach using the gym to make somebody a better golfer compared to what I would say most of our clients are used to more of a powerlifting style where like the goal is to just lift more weight? Like, do you see a difference there? There's a difference in the objective end, right? So the difference being is that what you guys do in the gym as a whole Depend, so I'll use powerlifters as your athletes. Their job is to get better at the main three lifts, period, right? My client's job is to get better on the golf course, to lower their handicaps. You know, obviously lots of them want to hit the ball further and they want to do all those things. And that's probably like 1B, but 1A tends to be that they want to lower their scores. They want to play better golf. Um, and so there, there's just a difference in what the outcome goal is for those groups. And so the weight room, the, one of the biggest fallacies of the weight room is that what your workouts look like must mimic the golf course. That's just not how it works, right? And you guys know this even in some way. At the end of the day, yes, specificity matters, specifically in powerlifting. You have to do the specific lifts to get good at the specific lifts. If all you ever did is sumo and then you had to conventional at your meet – probably not going to go super well because that's not how you've been training, right? So there has to be some specificity in what you're doing. So for golfers, the difference is, is all I'm looking to do is improve physical characteristics that golfers have to have. I don't need them to have massive one RM deadlifts or squats or any of those things, but I do need them to have enough lower body strength. You know, I need them to be at the end of the day, golfers are power athletes. You know, you're swinging an object stupid fast. The downswing is like 0.3 or yeah, 0.3 seconds. So think of it like javelin throwers, discus, jumpers. In terms of training, they almost should mimic one another because the goal is one rep at high speed with control. Now, one of the things to consider too is that golfers don't always hit it 100%. They're not swinging as hard as they can, as fast as they can. It's probably more in the 80% range of whatever they can do. But Uh, The analogy I always use with the guys um, that I work with is think of your strength as a, as a capacity. Like it's almost like you're filling up water with it. Right. So if I have a pint worth of strength capacity and you have a shot glass worth of capacity for strength, and you can only use 10% of it when you swing a golf club, which one of us is going to do better? Well, I am because I have way more space. So 10% of a lot, versus 10% of a little, my power is just better than yours. So when it comes to golf, our main objectives are increase people's power, you know, do them more power work, general strength work, lower extremity strength work. I don't do a ton of rotation with my guys because they rotate a ton already. Their sport is rotational. So I do a lot more, you know, making sure the other side is 
as symmetrical as it can be. I don't want that's I don't want to be nocebo in people here. <laughs> but uh, you know, making sure that they're not vehemently different necessarily. Making sure that both sides of them are strong. Maybe more anti-rotation work. But I will do rotational power work, rotational slam work. But if I get people good at dumbbell snatching, that is a they're learning to be more powerful. And that will transfer to the golf course. But it's not necessarily going to make them better at golfing. Golfing is going to make them better at golfing. So the weight room is to augment their physical capabilities that transfer to the course in that regard. The other side is to make them healthy, stronger, better long-term. Right? Most golfers, if you go to a golf course, I would argue that most of them are not super healthy. They're not very fit. A lot of them are really overweight. You know, drinking is a huge part of golf. Eating is a huge part after golfing. Like it's as a sport, people like it because it's kind of like the chill drink with the homies type sport, which don't get me wrong. I do that. I love doing that. I love having a couple brews with my buddies when we go play golf. Like that's, that's all good and well. But as a whole, I would argue that the health of golfers isn't great because their sport is not super physically demanding. Right. If you were to look at your average basketball player, they're all in good shape. Your average football player, they're in good shape. Average baseball player, for the most part, they're in good shape. Right. And baseball can even be a little have some nuance to it as well. But as a whole, your average everyday golfer is just not super healthy. And that's just something that I just want to change. I just I want people to get in the weight room, get strong, work on their mobility, work on their strength, work on their power. And that will transfer to the golf course, but it will also just make them better athletes as humans. And, you know, that's why I always say be strong, be monsters. Like I want people to be monsters in the gym and know what that feels like, because not only will it make you better on the golf course, it'll help transfer to the golf course. If you're stronger, chances are you're probably just going to hit the ball a little bit further, right? It's not the only factor. There's, there's many others from technique to your clubs and how they're made in the shafts and all that. But if you're stronger, that makes a difference. It also mitigates injury, which we, that's a whole other podcast. But they also get <laughs> strong, right? They're healthy. They want to get better. They're mitigating injury. You know, they feel better about themselves. So the gym's job is not to replicate the golf swing. It's to get people stronger, get people more powerful, and just make them healthier as humans. You, I know you had something to say. If you well, he just kind of, kind of said what I was going to say, <laughs> is that I think the biggest mistake is athletes tend to – think the weight room is a time to practice their skill and it's not it's a time to build trainable qualities the time to practice the skill is on the field or on the course or on the court so that's why you have practice and that's why you have lifting and they're separate because you're working on separate things right maybe we could explain why a little bit why doing a bosu ball foam roller fake golf swing isn't <laughs> transferring over like can we get into that yeah i've seen that before yeah i mean i think one thing we didn't touch on i mean you brought it up a bunch of times jackson but not specifically is environment and the role that environment's going to play on the outcome of whatever skill you're doing and when you do a skill such as a bosu ball golf swing with the cable machine attached to your wrist you are changing the environment so much that you are no longer practicing a skill that is 
pertinent to the skill that you want to get better at. So if we, if the environment is just so different that the, the skill we do, the outcome is so different, then we're kind of defeating the purpose and potentially even making ourselves worse. Well, think of force production. So th- think of like a kinematic sequence, right? So if I take someone, attach them to the cable machine and I've got them on a foam pad that's uneven because they want to work on their balance and swinging harder. One, you're now learning how to transmit force differently than you would on the golf course, right? It's, it's your, your, you have an implement that's like heavier or it's weirder or your feet are, are really uneven. Very rarely are your feet that uneven on a golf course. And when they are, you've practiced that, you know, if you're on a hill, for instance, your feet are going to be a little uneven. I don't need you to practice that in the gym because if you're on a BOSU ball, how you produce force is changed. You're learning a new pattern to produce force. I don't want you to learn a new pattern to produce force. I need you to be able to produce force, you know, from the ground up, right to left or left to right, depending on if you're a righty or a lefty, consistently, you know, even if, you know, maybe the lie is a little different or you've got one foot kind of in uh, deeper into a bunker versus your lead foot, whatever it ends up being, I don't want to add in the gym more variables that are making you produce different forces and changing. I, I cannot tell you how many people I've seen where they go to the gym and they're like, yeah, I was, I was pulling down on the cable machine, kind of imitating my swing. And then I was kind of jacked up when I went to the range. And, you know, maybe that was just bad luck for them, but I, I'd never have people do those things. Like, I don't need you to swing stuff or swing medicine balls like you're swinging a golf club because it's not what your sport is. It's like shooting a basketball that's too heavy. Why are you shooting a 30-pound basketball? It's not – the basketball is never going to weigh 30 pounds. Your, your triceps aren't getting stronger by shooting something that heavy. But we have all of these people that are like, oh, yeah, you need to do this, and it needs to be heavier and light implements. And there are some things – so there's something called super speed golf which is where you've got like a lighter stick, a heavier stick and like the middle stick. And they do show that over time your speed increases, but they weigh roughly about the same as a normal club. Um, But at the end of the the day, how long that sticks is dependent on the person. You know, what's their motor pattern. The gym just gets so caught up in BS of bounce on this BOSU ball and swing something. The unfortunate thing is, is that sure, maybe they're getting better at, balancing on a BOSU ball and pulling a cable, but they're wasting time on the trainable qualities that are actually going to make them better at golfing. So my bigger issue is not the fact that they're doing it. It's that they're wasting time doing it, right? It's, it's that their time could be spent elsewhere. It's no different than you guys with a power lifter. If they're spending three, four days a week doing like a Metcon that's draining them endurance wise, that's not just a built in part of their program. It's, it's wasting time that could be spent recovering, that could be spent focusing on accessory work that's necessary. Golf is the same thing. Yeah. When you brought up the gym initially, you had said it without saying it, but you're focusing on the lowest hanging fruit. It's like if you have somebody who literally can't make it through 18 holes of golf without being sore for the next five days, and that is altering their practice, like the lowest hanging fruit is going to be improving their work capacity and just general levels of fitness and filling those basic buckets so that they can now fit more practice in and have it be higher quality practice. So like, that's what I just heard right there. Again, said a different way, but focus on the lowest hanging fruits, right? You guys just let me ramble and then just put it all into something that's like way more precise. 
It's easier for me. How we couldn't fill an hour if we didn't ramble. So. <laughs> Just have a three sentence podcast. It's like, all right, these are the three pillars of skill acquisition and find the lowest hanging fruit in the gym. See you next week. <laughs> Peace. Deuce. 700 pound deadlift. All right, man. Well, I appreciate it a lot. That was very cool. Got to talk about a sport that has had me enamored for a little while. So it was definitely selfishly cool to talk about. And I enjoyed it a lot. So yeah, dude, thanks for coming on. I just like seeing y'all again. It's been, been a long time. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it has been. been been too long. Been a long time. If I if I swing back through, I'll uh, I'll be sure to stop in and say hello on my way to Eli Cannon's in Middletown to just mess. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Man. Take some of your tips into account or put them into practice so that I don't shoot a one ten with you when you come up here. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true. That's true. It's okay. He's laughing because that's a terrible golf score. Uh, hey, one man. time I went to a golf golf course. They bought me a golf cart halfway through, and and, and said, hey, hey, here, this is on the house. <laughs> Take this golf speed cart. <laughs> speed it up a little bit. <laughs> you might need to pick something else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I quickly realized it wasn't my sport. <laughs> well, well, you can only devote your time to so many things. <laughs> True. That's the truth. If you want to be a scratch golfer and a world-class power lifter, you're not going to be able to do it. (laughs) Not many of those. Not not many of those floating around out there. No. (laughs) Steph Curry, though, he's not. He's not a basketball angle. He is a scratch golfer. Isn't isn't Tony Romo nasty at golf too? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, Tony. Tony's a baller. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There's a lot. Elite athletes are good at golf. A lot of those quarter. A lot of those quarterbacks are good at golf. Yeah. A lot of them played athletes. golf like younger, like they just yeah. played it as like a additional thing. I don't know what Romo's story is, but he is a hell of, he like competes in some of those like am, amateur events and like balls out. So yeah, I, I don't have that kind of uh, thought in my future. I'm just, <laughs> just get good at golf. You just train them. Just get good at golf, stay strong, train them, paddleboard, you know. Fun stuff. There, there you go. go. So, if people are interested in seeing some of the content that you publish, checking out Anchor Forge, where can they find you? Yeah, probably the best place is follow me at Jackson at anchorforge.com. Well, Jackson at, you know what? We're going to start this over. My Instagram. I can at, edit this. At Jackson.anchorforge is the best way to find me on social. And then my website is anchorforge.com. Dot com. Those are the two best places. Very cool. All right, dude. Till next time. Appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. Yeah, fellas. Take it yeah, easy. Thanks. thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe if you like what you heard. Uh, resilient stuff coming up. Picnic will be over by the time this comes out. We have the squat seminar on the – what is that? The 12th. And then we have the powerlifting meet. July 31st, we're doing pledges for Velvet, uh, donations for Velvet. So if you haven't seen, check social media or your emails to donate for Velvet. And yeah. Is the squad seminar the 12th, the Saturday, or Sunday the 13th? Sunday the 13th. Good good call. Okay. Yes. Jeez, well, it's a good thing there's two of you. <laughs> Dude, even that's not enough you saw how hard it was to get started today <laughs> i'm ryan no i'm ryan 
Yeah, yeah. Hey, we I made guess it work. Yeah, 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 yeah. Screen, so.